Jared, it is wonderful to have you on Uncover Wealth Radio today. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excellent. So our listeners know that I am a big fan of looking for ways to be more profitable in our businesses. That is what I harp on about all the time. So today we want to speak about making your marketing campaigns more profitable and as fast as possible. How can we do that? <laughs> Give us the holy grail. Yeah, sure. So this is the one in need of pretty much every business, no matter the size of the business that we talk to. We primarily work with service-based businesses and whether I'm talking to somebody that does, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand a year, even up to like 10 million a year, mm -hmm. often uh, the biggest issues that I personally find are around the marketing. And a lot of it comes down to just, they want more performance out of what they're getting. You know, there's an argument to be made that, you know, every, you know give somebody an inch, they'll take a mile, you know, no matter what the performance is, you know, someone wants to see it to be better. Mm -hmm. But over time, time of just working with clients as well as owning my own business and running my own marketing campaigns and just understanding a couple of things when it comes to ROI or return on investment that a lot of people aren't talking about or necessarily don't make very conscious realization necessarily is that when we talk about ROI, we often talk about, you know, how can I get more clicks? How can I, at least with the digital marketing, how can I mm -hmm. get more clicks? How can I get those clicks for cheaper? How can I get more conversions? How can I, you know, increase my conversion rate, improve the website, so on and so forth. But especially for service-based businesses, there's a lot that happens after that, because you don't just like get somebody to call you and then you make money. That's not how it works. What if happens, only, <laughs> if only. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're in the e-commerce field, it's a little bit simpler where someone can make the purchase right on the website, but there's a whole other side of it where, you know, the traffic and the conversions is only a very small percentage of what actually drives you the ROI because you have to actually pick up that phone. You have to respond to that email that you were sent. You have to you know, talk to someone through live chat. Then you have to you know, sell them on your services. You have to retain that customer. You have to, you know, have upsells, downsells, cross-sells, et cetera. You have to be profitable. Uh, you have to be able to get referrals and all of that determines what your actual ROI is. But what happens is 95% of people uh, or businesses rather just focus on how can I get cheaper clicks? How can I improve my conversion rate? Which is great. That is something that I would recommend you work on. But when everybody is focusing on that, then that is the most difficult and the most competitive aspect to fix where very rarely do I actually, and I can get in some uh, tips and tricks here in a minute, if you will, but very rarely do I talk to someone that they actually say, you know what, we flew and I'm out in the States. So, you know, we flew our uh, reception team from, uh, you know, Florida to California, you know, $5,000 a ticket to go join the seminar all about, you know, sales and processes and whatnot. And we all sat down together and it was like this bigger treat that we have all these processes now that our close rate went from 30%, you know, to in six months is going to go to 40%, which sure, maybe that cost us, you know, $15,000. And we brought some, you know, typically, you know, considered lower on the totem pole employees to like this big thing but it's going to last the company for you know many, many years to come and could be worth hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars in extra revenue, which is going to increase your close rates, which will increase the ROI that you get from your marketing campaigns and has nothing to do with your in-house marketers or the agencies that you've hired or the freelancers or contractors that you work with, but you still made a massive change to your revenue. And when done properly, you might turn what's a 300% ROI into a 1500% ROI with only making minimal changes to the traffic and conversion side of things. That is so interesting. And I think that particularly when we're looking at driving and growing our business, actually that 
that is the side that is just not really focused on very much is that conversion rate. And then you, like you said, referrals, upsells, cross sells, all those things can be very easily ignored. In fact, many, many service-based business owners don't have processes in place for any of that stuff at all. Whereas actually that massively increases our ROI from our spend as well. So I love it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's something that when you do master it, not only does it improve every aspect of your business, because if you improve your sales rates, you know, your close rates, it doesn't just affect your Google ads campaign. It doesn't just affect your Facebook ads campaign. It affects every, every campaign that you're running. And so it has a compounding effect, not only that, but you're also able to often take advantage of a lot of the, you know, possibly bigger players in the space being a smaller player is that especially within the, uh, the digital world is it tends to be fairly cutthroat, especially if you're on something like Google, which is where we specialize, you know, both on the SEO and the SEM side of things, which is that there are limited number of slots for you to show up as for the ads and organic only a couple of the slots actually matter in the first place. And it's a head-to-head competition. And so whoever can, it's not just whoever pays the most, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But if there's you know, if a single click to your competitor is worth $150 to them and a single click to you is only worth $30, they're going to be able to outspend you no problem. But if you can actually increase, you know, the value of your click to be higher than theirs because you focused on all these other aspects, you know, then, you know, you're going to be able to, you know, show up more often. You're going to be able to increase what you're willing to pay for a lead or for a conversion or whatever it may be because overall it's just worth more to you. Um, and now I can get into some of the math side of things if you want, but I do have to warn you, there is a lot of math. <laughs> <laughs> I love maths. I'm an accountant. Maths is great for me. I'm not sure our listeners will love the math side of things, but I, I completely get what you're saying. Absolutely. In terms of if you basically, if you are increasing your lifetime value of your client and if you're, and, and the length of time that they're a client for actually that then feeds positively into everything you're doing at the front end in terms of your marketing, essentially. Um, which is, again, data that business owners rarely look at because um, we're too busy driving our business forward and most people don't actually dig into the data behind that and actually look at what the flow is, do they, in terms of where where people have come from, who they've referred, what they've upsold, how long they've stayed, what their lifetime value is, and therefore bringing everything back to, okay, so how much can we afford to pay to get a customer in the first place. Exactly. Knowing your numbers is honestly pretty rare within the service-based industry space. And also just tracking what you need to track to actually know your numbers is pretty easy, but a lot of people still aren't doing it where, you know, I mean, tracking your clicks, that's easy. It kind of does it by default. Tracking your conversions, a lot of the time, fairly simple. You're using maybe something like Google Analytics to track form fills. You're maybe using something like CallRail to track phone calls. And then there, that kind of is where the ball stops a lot of the time where what a lot of the times, especially if you're using a well-known CRM or customer database tool, then there's going to generally be an already easy connection between how you're tracking your online conversions and importing that data into your CRM, Mm. where then you can see, okay, uh, you know, Bob called me and he called me because he called from our Google ads campaign or from our Facebook ads campaign. And often these connections, they're done through what's called APIs. Sometimes it's, you don't even have to build anything. It's just, okay, click, click this integration, sign into the tool here, and it does it itself. Mm-hmm. 
or oftentimes you can just hire a developer for less than 50 bucks most of the time because they know how to do it. It's generally not that difficult to just connect the things mm. and then they're connected. And then at the end of you know the month, quarter, year, whatever it may be, you can actually sit down with your marketing teams, internal, external, et cetera, and not just say, okay, how many conversions did we get? But also look at your books and go, okay, we made this amount of dollars that we can attribute to this individual campaign. You know, we spent this on the campaign. So this is the actual you know, ROI that we got during the first, you know, six months of the campaign, during the first 12 months of the campaign, so on and so forth. Knowing your numbers is massive because especially within service-based businesses, the numbers are much higher than people think in terms of the value of an individual click is when you take what you make over the lifetime of a customer, you know, from the first transaction you ever had with them to the last transaction you ever had with them, a little bit of um, nuance there because, you know, if you're, let's say a roofing company, that might be 25 years. So they need another roof and you might not actually be in business for 25 years. So you do have to take that to account for, to a certain extent. But if you take into account, you know, what the lifetime value of a customer is, what your gross margins are, which again is something that almost nobody actually calculates. Yeah. Uh, but I would recommend knowing your gross margins over your net margins for this because your net isn't always necessarily representative and cash can be kind of funny, especially when you get into like depreciation and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So typically recommend you look at your gross margins for this and then you take, okay, great. You know, we make $10,000 in profit per customer over their lifetime. Okay. Well, what percentage of our leads turn into customers? Okay, great. You know, 10%, let's just say it just to make the math easy. That means every lead to the business is worth a thousand dollars. Well, what percentage of our traffic turns into leads? Well, we're tracking that 10%, just again, to keep the numbers easy. That means every single qualified click that you get on your website is worth a hundred dollars. So what happens is you know, when you don't know your numbers, you might get hung up on, oh, you know, our cost per click used to be $5. Now it's $10 well, maybe we should look elsewhere because our cost doubled. Well, no, because that's still only 10% of what that's actually worth to you. Not to mention if you improve anything along the process, you know, increase the lifetime value, or maybe you manage to decrease the cost per click or whatever it may be, it's still very worthwhile. And you can also determine how aggressive that you want to be in the first place. Yeah. So you could actually even use this to help determine what your ad budget is then as well, because you just track the data back. Exactly. And for uh, people that haven't run ads before, that's one of the, we try to do it as best as possible because if you don't have that data beforehand, it's kind of hard to run the numbers, but we'll try to look at as best as possible. What is it going to cost you per click in your market to run? What can we estimate that your conversion rate is going to be based on either the data that you do have or just estimating based on, you know, how well we know the market as well as what an actual customer is worth to you. And then we can come up with this matrix of basically, you know, for people that don't have a lot of data, it tends to be pretty wide where it might be, okay, great. You know, within this realistic range, we're expecting you know a three x return to a five x return based on the information that we were able to gather so far. And then when we actually start running ads, then we're going to be able to improve that, figure out what's working, what's not working, turn off what's not, double down on what is, so on and so forth. But just knowing your numbers makes life a whole lot easier. Mm, and can they? Can people get some of this data anyway, even if they've not run ads before? Presumably, they can get some data from the organic stuff that they do. And, um, and, you know, what traffic they're getting just now, just generally, and just generally based on what their conversion rates and stuff are at the moment to try and give them an idea. 
Yes and no to a certain extent. One of the big challenges uh, specifically with service-based businesses is that most of you're going to have a very low conversion rate in your actual website compared to your ads, where we have clients that we work with that their ad account might have like a 30% conversion rate, but their website itself might have a less than 5%. Mm -hmm. Why? Because for the SEO that we're doing, we're creating content that's top of the funnel informational content that anyone in the entire country can come and visit and learn about, but they only service a very specific market. And so because of that, they might be getting a lot of traffic from places that just, so for example, I work with a lot of law firms. Someone might be wondering, you know, how is, uh, uh, you know, child custody determined your or mm. child support or whatever it may be. You know, I might have a client in Florida where someone in Georgia might be, you know, searching for that. So they end up on that client's website, they end up on their blog, but even, but that's not within their market. So it's a good information for them. But because of that, you might be getting thousands of people on the site per month, but you know, you're not getting hundreds and hundreds of conversions off of that. Whereas on the Google ad side of things, because we're much more specific, sending to a specific landing page with specific targets, we get a much better idea. So we actually do the inverse a lot of times, which is we use Google ads to determine the conversion rate of the website mm -hmm. and which you can do by instead of, instead of sending traffic to a landing page, which you do want to do in the long term send it to the actual service page itself. Because, so what you do there is a couple of things. One, you, you're talking generally the same terms, SEO, Google Ads, some discrepancy there, but generally mm -hmm. roughly the same. And you can figure out, well, if you're sending ads to the same exact page that people are gonna land on the SEO side of things and you're not converting them, then it's not gonna convert on the SEO side of things. So don't spend, you know, it's expensive, thousands to tens of thousands of dollars, depending on your industry for months at a time to then, you know, show up for something and get clicks for something that no one's gonna convert on. Mm. Rather, start off with ads first, which is going to pre-test those keywords, it's gonna pre-test your website itself, it's gonna pre-test your conversion rates, and then you can make changes. To give you an example of this, one of the clients that we work with is a, uh, a therapist and we found that his website wasn't converting very well. It was about 3%. He didn't want us to you know, build landing pages for various reasons. So we could only send traffic to his uh, website itself. So he ended up redesigning his website at one point, increased the conversion rate a little bit to roughly like 5% or so. So what we did was we went through and we just made a couple of quick suggestions. I'm like, hey, you know, this, this button text isn't really clear on what happens when you click on it or, you know, we recommend change the color, whatever it may be. And that changed the overall conversion rate on the Google Ads front to about 8%. But that's just not going to affect that. That's going to affect every other traffic source because mm. it was on the main website. And so what what happened for you know that individual client is if they were trying to you know quote unquote SEO their original website that had a three percent conversion rate because hey you know if someone's looking for a therapist you know they're going to have my website and they want a therapist they're going to call me. Well, not necessarily. And so why wait you know six eight twelve months and thousands to tens of tens of thousands of dollars invested to then find out that it's not going to work and you had to fix something way more fundamental first. So uh, typically ads tends to be one of the best ways to pre-test and actually know that this is going to work, whatever it is you're trying to do. Nice. I love that using ads to test your website conversions. So tell us, Jared, what are some big mistakes that businesses make when they start delving into Google ads? I know that personally, I tried doing my own Google ads about eight years ago, probably, maybe even longer. And I am pretty sure I probably ticked a lot of the biggest mistake boxes. I wasted a lot of money because I had no idea 
at all what I was doing. At the time, you know, our listeners might not know about uh, this, but I didn't even know something like negative keywords existed. So basically I was paying a huge amount of money for all this traffic that was completely irrelevant to my search terms, essentially. Um, So what are some big mistakes that businesses are making with their Google Ads campaigns? So the biggest mistake that I see is not properly tracking conversions. And I mentioned Mm -hmm. tracking, knowing numbers, a lot if anybody can't tell so far but the reason why i say that that's the most important is that you can do everything wrong within your ad account but if you've done one thing right which is track conversions then you know you've done everything wrong you know that you're not converting people you know that the cost per conversion is way too high if you're not tracking conversions you have no idea and then you base it off of feelings and you know that's not very reliable yeah so what happens is you're spending you know hundreds of thousands or depending on the business on tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in an ad campaign and you have no idea what it's actually getting out of it you might see that hey traffic's going up hey we're getting clicks for the right thing but not necessarily so for example before i get into some other mistakes going back to that therapist we had two different keywords for the same topic one was therapist. The other was therapy for the type of therapy that they offer. We noticed that therapist was converting at like 10, 12%, something like that. Therapy converted at 0%. So Ah. specifically marriage therapy, 0% or relationship therapy, one of the two, 0% conversion rate was spending about 10 to 15% of their total budget. Wow. So even though that's basically the same term, when we Googled it it ourselves, we saw basically the same things. It tells us that Google says that these are basically the same things that people who are searching are looking for the same thing, but clearly not. So if we were just spending money on both terms because, hey, these are relevant to the business, well, it turns out, you know, we were wasting, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month on something that just wasn't converting. So once we had that data, we were able to turn that off and then give more budget to what actually was working. And we made a couple other changes at the time, but basically they tripled their leads month over month just by us having enough data to go, okay, this isn't working. So let's just simply turn this off. This is working. So let's double down Wrap on it. it and we, all the, all the changes that we make have to be based on the conversions because you might find that a specific ad has a 10% click-through rate and another ad has a 6% click-through rate. But the one that has a 6% click-through rate has a higher conversion rate than the one that has a 10% click-through rate. So if you're only focusing on the metrics rather than the KPIs, key performance indicators, you you can get into a lot of trouble. So that's why conversion tracking is the number one thing is whenever I get access to any ad account is the first thing that I click on is going to conversions, seeing how it's set up to see if it's even set up in the first place. Because if it's not, then no other data in the account is really all that helpful because they Mm. don't know how it actually has performed. So that's the number one thing. The next thing, if it comes to people who have DIY'd their own ad account, not having negative keywords is pretty common. So that's the, (laughs) generally the second thing I'll look at is one, the negative keywords, but also the structure of the negative keywords. Mm -hmm. Because for anyone that doesn't know, your keywords are what you want to bid on. Your negative keywords basically say, hey, if this word appears or this phrase, then don't show my ads for it. So maybe you're a divorce lawyer, but maybe you're a male divorce lawyer. And a lot of people will search for a female divorce lawyer. So you might put the uh, female in there because you know you don't have a female divorce lawyer on your team. So okay, even though someone's looking for a divorce lawyer, they're looking for a woman. You know, let's not show our ads because we're not relevant to that. So that's how you can save on a lot of uh, misclicks. So one thing is just making sure that you know you're not bidding on things like such as free. So for a family law firm we were working with, they were getting a lot of clicks for people looking for free legal services. Or that's what I did wrong advice. as well. People <laughs> were looking for free, or they were looking for jobs. So they right. were looking for jobs as an accountant, um, and my ads were being served, and they were clicking on them. And even though I was thinking, why are they even clicking on it? Clearly, that's not what this website is. They were still clicking on it and I was still getting charged. Well, the reality of 
search ads or Google search in general is people just like to click. Mm. You could run ads for an ice cream shop for a personal injury attorney and they will still click on it because people just like to click on things. (laughs) And then, you know, you'll just waste a bunch of money that way, but negative keywords next. And then the order of those, because you can set them up at different levels, set up negative keywords at the ad group campaign Mm. or the account level through your um, negative keyword list. And personally, I'm a big fan of just keeping everything in the account neat and organized. It just makes things a lot easier. And so it can be a bit of a pain is when somebody goes online, they find a list of default negative keywords, uh, which can be helpful for like finding a bunch of ways that people search for jobs and just automatically put them in there, which is great. But if you don't keep those organized, then what happens is you have a campaign or an ad group with thousands of negative keywords, and it's going to take us a long time to actually look through that and actually think about each individual keyword and go, okay, is... Sure, you said that you don't want to show up for that, but is there a variation of how someone might search that actually you would want to show up for this? So it can take a while if that's kind of messy, but it is what it is. So negative keywords is the second thing I look at because it usually that's one of the easiest ways for us to go in there and improve the results instantly is just looking through the search term reports, which is what you actually showed up for, we actually got clicks for, and just going, well, you spent $250 last month on people searching for free services. We're just going to put the word free in there. We just saved you $250 a month. Yeah. And then, you know, you can reinvest that $250 into what was actually driving conversions. So it can be a pretty uh, simple way to drive more results for the campaign. Nice. And the third one on the search campaign itself, and then I'll have one that's a little bit more ab- abstract, building out something that's more complex than the account needs. Mm-hmm. There is, I understand the logic, but it, if something looks complex, people think that it's better right? Because if I say, I'm going to charge you $1,000 to build your campaign, and somebody else says, I'm going to charge you $1,000 to build your campaign. And my campaign has, uh, you know, one campaign, or just one campaign, five ad groups, a dozen keywords, and, you know, two ads, or maybe three ads per each, and then, you know, a couple, you know, maybe 200, you know, default uh, negative keywords that we just know you're not going to want to bid for. And somebody else builds out, you know, 50 different campaigns, 100 different ad groups, 1,000 different keywords. They go, well, that one looks a lot more robust. But actually what happens is most of the time, 95% of the other account isn't getting clicks because they chose a bunch of things that no one really ever searched for. So you don't have to get that detailed on it because there's just no purpose to, but it looks a lot more complex. Mm. So that's one of the biggest things is that then we'll get into an account. It takes us five times longer just to understand what's going on because it's set up where there's just so much going on. Most of it's not really helping the account, but we still have to understand what's there so we can know you know what to get rid of what to keep and it has this like monster of an account where you know my philosophy which is that if you can spend your full budget with one keyword out and get conversions for the cost Mm. that you want to get conversions at then you only need one keyword and that's okay yeah and most often what i'll see this is people who are more familiar with the seo side of things that then get delve into the google ad side of things because on the SEO front, you know, it's this kind of this black box monster where, you know, do you trust Google? Do you trust this source? Do you trust that source? You know, no one knows. And the more complex and fancy the SEO campaign, the, you know, the better it seems. Whereas on Google ads, you know, more simplistic it is on a, generally the better it is. And then when it comes to the simplicity, same thing with bid adjustments. So for anyone that doesn't know, you can make adjustments where you're like, you know, Tuesdays are really good. I want to pay 30% more for my clicks on Tuesdays. Thursdays are really bad. So I want to pay 20% less for my clicks on Thursdays. Now, a challenge is when you go through and you make a bunch of different uh, adjustments, micro adjustments that aren't going to make a ton of difference. But then what happens is when Sally is searching, because she's searching on a Wednesday that's a 20% plus 
but from 3 to 4 p.m., that's a 5% minus, but she's searching for a mobile phone, which is a 35% plus, but she's a homeowner, so it's a minus 15%, and then, you know, a dozen other things. Okay, what does Sally actually pay per click? You know, mm-hmm. what can you expect your cost per click to actually be? It can range, you know, so much because of that. It's really hard to actually get a grasp on, you know, is your cost per click rate with all these different things. So oftentimes, it's just a matter of looking at what are the most impactful different segments for you to focus on, and then narrow down on that. Uh, most of the time, it's days of the week, or if you're advertising over a large geographic area, there'll be certain um, you know, countries, provinces, states, cities, et cetera, that just perform better, perform worse. And you know, that's where most people will look at. And then some industries like home service companies, generally home ownership is a good one. The way that Google gathers this data isn't always necessarily intuitive. So for example, income levels is not based on how much somebody earns. It's based on the earning average or the median income of the zip code that they searched in. Oh, so if they live in a lower income area, even if they make a billion dollars a year, they'll be considered lower income. So that's mm-hmm. you know one of the things that just knowing how the system works can help you quite a bit. But just having a simpler account is number three. It makes everything a lot easier. And then you build out a more complex account as the data tells you that you need more complexity within your account. And oftentimes it just gets way better results. And the Mm. last thing I'll say is not taking a strategy first approach, which Mm. is just building it out and seeing what happens. Now I'm all for, you know, just taking action, if you will. Mm -hmm. But the issue is, you know, to give you a very real example, I had a conversation with somebody about their ad account. They had set up a search campaign, you know, they had paid money for someone to build them out a search campaign. The only issue is a search campaign would never work for that company. It's very unlikely to. Why? Because they were a first to market company. Uh, no one was searching for what no they one had. knew what they no one knew about them. No one knew exactly. about the thing they had. So they would exactly. never be typing into Google. Exactly. So this uh. is um, you know, to give the example more in your realm, something that's uh, popping up more and more in the US are accountants that focus on cannabis because as more and more states legalize, there are more and more business needs, both for legal and accounting and whatnot. Sure. We've seen more and more businesses focusing up that only focus on working with uh, dispensaries or you know manufacturers or SaaS companies within this space. But very rarely are these entrepreneurs that are in this space actually searching for a you know a CPA that focuses on marijuana or CBD or yeah. whatever because it's just a, it's a brand new market. And so targeting these keywords generates very little to no traffic. And so really what you need to do is take a different approach is understand the market before you, you know, just, Hey, you know, CPA for X, Y, and Z, or just general CPA searches, which is just going to get you a bunch of people outside your market Mm -hmm. is going, okay, well, what's going to work here? Video and display ads, because people need, people don't know that this is something that they should talk to me about. So -hmm. we're going to inform them and we're going to create this video to target them on YouTube while they're searching for finance related stuff that work in this field. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to, they're going to basically, you know, raise their hand and say, Hey, I work in this field. So, you know, I'm going to click on your ad and then I'm going to remarket those people and teach them a little bit more about the specific accounting needs in this space. And then they're going to convert, you know, later down the line. Mm, Nice. So it's not just, you know, purely focusing on that ad, 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 that kind of what is somebody typing into Google. And speaking about kind of the other focuses, of course, and you touched on the SEO side and how that ties in as well. So what should we be thinking about on the SEO side of our business? I know that many businesses have got horror stories Mm -hmm. in association with SEO and they believe you mentioned, I think the term, it's a kind of dark art. And I know that many, many people feel that way that it's, you know, it's something that is just 
why would I spend money on it? It's always changing. I don't have a clue what's going on there. Surely people will just find me if they just type in the words that I've written in my blog post or on my, on my services page. What, how does SEO play into this and play into the data and being profitable and all those things as well? Sure. So where, where SEO really shines is in the long-term growth, which is that SEO has a snowball effect, which mm. is that websites that Google loves, it wants to give more love to because the overall objective of Google is to make money through ad clicks. Now, the reason why people use Google and will click on ads is because the results are good. So if Google goes, you know, this website is really good. I want to continue to promote this website as much as possible because I know that people really like this website. And I'm going to trust this website way more than I'm going to trust a brand new website, which if that's a spam website or if that's a malicious or hacked website, then people might trust Google a little bit less, which means we might make less money on ads. It's Google's responsibility to serve the most relevant content and the best, and the best result. Now, how it does that is fairly complex unless you want to get into information <laughs> retrieval and algorithms and, and all that kind of stuff. Then, you know, then for a lot of people, it is magic because of that because there's just so many inner workings behind the scene. In 2018, Google made over 3,000 changes to its algorithm, which is about three times per day. It's insane. To it. Now, granted, both of them are so small, you won't even notice it, but you know, that's kind of besides the point to a certain extent. But the beauty of um, SEO is that you, know, you might start off, it has a very slow uh, run period, especially if you're in any sort of competitive area. And then once it starts to build, it starts to snowball where you just get more and more and more. And as you know, it's where most of the clicks go, most people will trust Google. It goes basically referral than Google. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is when people are searching for a roofing company, an accountant, a lawyer, whatever it may be, they just type in, you know, criminal defense lawyer near me, family lawyer near me, you know, best divorce lawyer, best, mm -hmm. uh, you know, roofing company, uh, whatever it may be. And what the majority of the clicks don't go to ads, they go to search. Now, it doesn't mean ads aren't worth running, of course. It's just that if you go on search, you're going to get a lot more traffic. The only challenge with search, though, is that there's only a couple slots that matter, and it takes you a while to actually be there. Now, when it comes to the biggest mistakes I see businesses make on the SEO front is mainly hiring crappy companies. Mm. The reason is that it's a lot more expensive than people realize on the SEO front. As Google gets more complex, so does what has to be done in order to actually rank websites get more complex. It used to be go back 10 to 15 years. All you had to do is take your keyword, put it on many as many times as possible on your website, just set the text to be hidden so that Google could read it and users wouldn't, and you would basically rank number one. Yes. It would be very, very easy. Now it's a lot more complicated than that. When we have machine learning algorithms that use NLP or natural language processing to understand how human speech works, and they have machine learning to understand when somebody clicks on your website, do they actually like your website or is another result better? And you know, all the, they change their algorithms constantly. There's the whole aspect of um, links, which is the most convoluted, complex, and expensive part of, of SEO. So what I generally tell people is don't move forward on SEO until you have something that you can actually trust and put that way before anything else, mainly because when it comes to Google ads, if somebody really screws up an ad campaign, they hired the cheap solution, they hired someone that just wasn't really good, you know, they wasted, you know, some money. Yeah, that sucks. But all they have to do is turn off those ads and run mm -hmm. new ones and we're good to go. SEO doesn't work like that. The damage that somebody else caused can hurt you in the long run. It's not necessarily just next month. It might hurt you two years from now. And yeah, so because it essentially damages your domain. Exactly. And mm -hmm. Google changes how it feels about things. Mm -hmm. uh, so for example, 
scholarship link building. This used to be a very common SEO tactic where you would just, uh, the way that schools work is that you just say you have a scholarship, you can get a link from, you know, major universities and they don't even double check to the point where I was seeing websites that were just called free Instagram likes.com with scholarships from like household name universities because nobody, you know, really looks at it. It's an intern that just runs the site. They go, okay, great. You know, if whatever, you know, if someone can actually apply for this, you know, then, mm -hmm. you know, it is because that gets more students to our university so you were able to very easily get a lot of links from high authority domains however there are thresholds when it comes to google and in uh, around i think it was the day after uh christmas i think it was december 26th of 2018 i believe all of a sudden a lot of websites got manual actions or penalties from google mainly because of the scholarship link building that they were doing mm -hmm. because it's technically a link scheme it, and diving into that, there's still legitimate ways to do it. But anyways, um, so, you know, websites that are essentially abusing this tactic to use primarily for link building, you know, Google said, hey, you know, we're not okay with that. And so businesses who had spent years, you know, working on this are now at risk because they mm. could, they may have already passed a threshold and they were penalized there, or they could pass a threshold threshold as Google changes it. Uh, another example, we work with a very large CBD retailer in the U.S. here. And they, you know, multiple six figures per month is what they're doing in revenue. They were doing their own SEO in-house for what was on their website, for anything that was off of their website, which is where most people honestly screw up the most. They were hiring a fairly cheap company. And what mm -hmm. happened was all of a sudden they woke up one morning, traffic was down about 60%. Revenue was down even more. Oops. In order to fix that, it required myself, my team who gets paid very well for them, another team that also gets paid very well for them, their internal team of two owners, three or four people on their marketing team, and their legal department, five months to recover that. I'd be surprised if it cost them less than $50,000 at that time just to fix that issue. Now, granted, very quickly, it was worthwhile because we made a lot of changes in the process and you know, it kind of grew beyond where they were before that drop, but that could have been avoided if you know, basically they didn't work with you know, a crappy company to end mm -hmm. the at the end of the day. And so what I typically recommend is only move forward with somebody that they actually trust because it's a matter of risk mitigation to mm. me when it comes to SEO. People throw around like white hat, gray hat, black hat. I don't think that really does justice unless you're within the industry and you can kind of talk understanding, you know, what those terms really mean. But I like mm -hmm. to look at it more so as risk, risk mitigation. Mm. Everything you do with SEO carries some amount of risk because what works today Google could turn around tomorrow and say that no longer works. Think yeah. of it like a dial, right? So you turn it from zero to 10. Google says, you know, if you have a really fast website, that's a nine. You know, your website's really great. We're going to give you 900 points for that or whatever it may be. Then Google decides, you know what? We overvalued how much that really matters. We think, you know, websites, uh, you know, whatever it may be, let's dial that back down to only 700 points. Your website's still just as fast, but that's no longer, you know, what's really keeping you up there. Or mm. it's a lot more complicated than that, but to a certain extent, because Google's always changing things. If Google search was perfect, you wouldn't have uh, updates anymore. But sometimes Google overvalues what it shouldn't, and sometimes Google undervalues what it shouldn't either. So you need, uh, so understanding, you know, the tactics that you're using, what is, you know, how's it going to help you today, but also how might it hurt you tomorrow? You know, what I'll say here before I'll, before I stop waterfalling here for a second <laughs> is. Uh, there are mainly the most, most of the sketchy stuff tends to happen when it comes to links, but what people were doing still doing to an extent is they were finding stock images on stock image websites, then finding journalists who had used those stock images, contacting those, uh, uh, those outlets and saying, Hey, I own that image oh, so yeah. back to my website. 
Yeah, I've heard, I've heard of that so, tactic. Some people took it farther where they actually send fake legal notices, which mm. when it gets into that's actually illegal. Uh, but what happens there is that that is a very cheap way to get links, very powerful links. Not only like it might cost you a couple, you know, bucks to get thousands of dollars worth of links, quote unquote, if you want to, uh, if you want to figure out a way to set a value on those, you might get very high credible sites linking to you because of this. But the issue is someone from Google itself said, hey, I'm going to look into this. It was uh, John Mueller specifically. While you always have to take a grain of salt, anything that Google says, in my opinion, understand that it's not just a matter of them updating their algorithm to understand like, hey, that was stolen or whatnot, but it's a matter of someone can manually look at that site and go, I can Google this and prove that it's not their image. This is a known link tactic. They're doing this at a certain scale in which mm-hmm. it's clear that you know we have to take action on this, not only to hurt this website, but also for the PR of discouraging other people from using this tactic because if they make a big deal out of, hey, look at this big known website that we just absolutely crushed, a lot of other people are going to be much more hesitant to use that traffic. Mm. So there's the, you know, the psychological aspect of it, if you will, as well. So what happens yeah. is, sure, that tactic is working really great for you now, but you can easily have the foresight to go, this is something that everyone draws their ethics you know, differently. Mm-hmm. But even if you're like, okay, great, you know, that's perfectly fine a tactic to use, you can look at that and go, that's not going to work at some point or at the scale that we're doing it, it's not going to work at some point. I love it, Jared. That is awesome. I think you've given us some incredible tips and incredible insight into the whole SEO, PPC, getting an ROI, profitability side of things. I know that there are some things that I'm going to be going away and assessing on my business as well as a result. Luckily, we don't, I don't think we've got any of that crazy link stuff happening, but I am going to double check, but I don't think we do. It's, it's been really, really wonderful speaking to you, uh, Jared. Tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you, how they can learn more about you and where they can find you on social. Awesome. So the easiest way to find some of the content that we produce is cometfuel.com, C-O-M-E-T-F-U-E-L.com website itself is launching end of October. So depending on when this goes live, you might not want to. The site should be live uh, roughly then. And then you can check me out on social uh, LinkedIn, Jared Spuak, Facebook, Jared Spuak, Twitter, probably under the same name. <laughs> so uh, you know, wherever you, uh, wherever you prefer. Jared, thank you so much. We'll obviously put all these links in the show notes for everyone as well. Thank you everyone for listening and uh, we'll speak soon. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you do like what I share, please do come and subscribe to the podcast, perhaps even leave a review so that other people can find this podcast as well and benefit from everything that I am sharing. Also, if you enjoyed, I would love if you want to take a screenshot of this episode, share it out onto your social media platforms. If you do, please, please do tag me. I'm Annette underscore Fergs on both Twitter and Instagram. So if you tag me, I can come along, give you a follow, give you a like and some love over there as well. Until next time.